This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market welcome to the new books network Hi everyone, my name is Armand Childers and this is New Books Network. Today I have the great pleasure of hosting Claudia Liebelt and we will be talking about her book, Istanbul Appearances, Beauty and the Making of Middle Class Femininities in Urban Turkey, which very recently came out from Syracuse University Press. Welcome to the New Books Network, Claudia. Hi everyone, I'm really excited to be on the podcast and thank you so much for inviting me. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, can you tell us a bit about yourself before we start talking about the book? Yeah, of course. So my name is Claudia Liebelt. I'm a professor in social and cultural anthropology at the Free University of Berlin. And here I'm the head of a research team on gender, body and sexualities. And yeah, Istanbul Appearances is my second book. And it's part of a shift from studying global care work migration and the Filipina labor diaspora to questions of embodied aesthetics and the global beauty industry. And maybe, I, I mean, I would like to talk a bit about this shift. Like, how did this book come about? Can you tell us a bit about your story of coming to working on beauty in Istanbul? Yeah, so um, beauty, I would say, is not only a really long-standing keyword of feminist debate, but it's also a consistently growing global multi-million market and I've I've long wanted to to study beauty from a critical feminist intersectional perspective and um, yeah Istanbul a city that I've been visiting a lot since the late 1990s proved a very um, perfect place to do so um, because Turkey now ranks among the top countries really um, worldwide with the highest numbers of um, cosmetic procedures and Istanbul has really become a yeah almost global center I would say for the beauty and fashion industries. And do you think I, I mean this part you mentioned this in, in the book as well but like do you think the kind of Turkish TV series has an effect on this Istanbul becoming this like uh, very fashion beauty oriented city? 
Yes, I, I think um, it does. So um, it has also become a center for cosmetic surgery tourism. And a lot of this tourism is coming from the Arab speaking world. And I think this is where Turkish series are the most successful. And I haven't really um, done much research on the perspective of these tourists. But but from what I learned in the field, I think it's it's very much connected. And in any case, I think that the media has really opened up spaces of imagination for for many residents in Istanbul, but also beyond to yeah, to engage in in aesthetic body modification. And um, more generally, I would say the beauty industry has really changed Istanbul's political economy and visual outlooks. And, you know, even from traveling to Istanbul in these past 20 years, I could see that um, there's now so many beauty clinics, salons, nail spas, tattoo studios um, opening up all over the city. And um, I think it's very interesting to look at the ways that, yeah, this new geography has impacted upon um, the residents. And I mean, it's funny because also while I was reading the book, I kept thinking about these like Instagram ads, which are kind of prompting me to go to Istanbul to get to get hair plantation. I guess like hair, hair transplantation. I guess the kind of male equivalent of some of the practices you're talking about here are like is focused on more like uh, hair, but I'm sure a lot of men are also going through uh, aesthetic surgery or like uh, yes. in the surgery. I mean, if you look at the statistics um, of the International Society for Aesthetic and Plastic Surgery, um, you can see that the number of men engaging in these, in I mean, the statistics are very, um, you know, male and female, um, divided into two genders. So um, you can see that the number of men is um, engaging in plastic surgery is on the rise, but it's still much smaller. So it would be like around 80-90% um, female patients and customers um, as opposed to 10-20% to of, of male customers. And my book focuses on on femininity um, in a very deliberate way, um, looking at the um, gender role expectations and norms and also the assumptions of, um, you know, um, uh, the link between femininity and and beauty work. But of course, I mean, I mean, uh, hair transplantation is very big in Istanbul. I think Istanbul is the number one worldwide for for hair transplantation. Um, so yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you also, I mean, to talk about um, beauty and the making of middle class femininities, you also talk to a lot of different kinds of people, from cosmetic surge, uh, surgeons to. Uh, be to salon owners, but also, uh, I mean, also women from various different backgrounds. How how do you tie these stories together in the book? And also speaking of these women from different backgrounds, like how do you tie, tie the stories of these women together? 
Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, you're right. There are many different kinds of people in this book, and it I felt it was important to use multi-sided ethnography within the city to follow beauty practices across the city. And I strategically chose highly contested urban areas to illustrate the similarities, but also the differences in, yeah, um, beauty work, intimate encounters, and aesthetic concerns in the city. So I selected um, five neighborhoods and within them one or two hair and beauty salons or clinics, um, some considered more secular, some more conservative, some uh, located in the city center, some on the outskirts, um, and yeah, and uh, observed um, within these spaces um, during regular ongoing visits. And so, yeah, I had many different interlocutors, um, but perhaps I should give you an example. Um, yeah, one of my key interlocutors was a young um, woman called Saliha. I mean, I call her Saliha in the book, but I do not use her real name, of course. So, and Saliha was a manicurist. I met her as a manicurist in a nail bar in um, central upscale Nishantasche. And she was very supportive of my research from the very beginning and introduced me not only to many of her regular clients who were very, you know, upper class ladies from the neighborhood, but also to her extended family who lived on the outskirts of Istanbul. And what I found really interesting about her story is that, I mean, her entry into the beauty sector was very accidental. Um, after she moved to Istanbul from Aziantep as a teenager, alongside her mother and younger sister, and um, yeah, she took up beauty work to to support her family. And she was not the only one in her family. Her aunt had also entered the beauty sector 30 years, years earlier um, in a very similar um, yeah, um, life situation. And um, so it was very interesting to, to reflect upon the changes and also the opportunities that the sector offered with these um, two women um, and um, also yeah, um, getting a, a perspective from inside the, the beauty industry. And Saliha was also very interesting in... in um, from from another perspective, because she was um, she's a pious woman. She she covers her hair in public, but um, then working in this very secular neighborhood, she took off her headscarf because she was so tired of of engaging in in conversations with her customers around her her piety and why she chose to to wear the headscarf and so on. So um, yeah, I, I think. Her, her case was was quite interesting and um, so in in every place I I met um, interesting people of course and and they introduced me to um, yeah to other interesting people so I, I somehow took these very different settings and and um, yeah um, followed 
um, the people followed also some particular um, beauty procedures and and then tried to to weave it into into a book not only about the beauty industry in Istanbul but also about yeah being female and um, and feminine. I mean um, that that was the aim of many many of my interlocutors um, in Istanbul. And I mean, like in the story you just mentioned, in, in Salia's story, I mean, there's always, I mean, in most of the stories you have in the book, there's always uh, a class component as well as kind of a religion component, uh, so to say, uh, or like at least, uh, yeah, I mean, the effect of religion and uh, women's conceptions, but also performances of beauty. I was wondering, uh, can you can you tell us how class, how do you see class playing into these like ideals of beauty in your book? Um, yes, so um, I mean, there's there's a number of assumptions when we talk about beauty in um, in Istanbul. Um, first of all, that it's something that professional middle class women engage in, and and secondly, that it's a secular affair. And um, I think this has changed quite a lot in in the past few years, and um, but but still it's very contested, and there's a number of exclusions, and and I think um, that's what I tried also to to show by by going deep into some of the stories the women told me, um, and. I mean, what I think is is important to note is that um, I mean, uh, beauty work is expected from all women, but um, some women have the resources to delegate the beauty work, um, so they they become customers and um, have other women um, do the beauty work for them, so to speak. Um, so. And in in many places um, globally, um, this kind of work is relegated to uh, women from the lower social classes. And very often, these um, niches are also racialized. For example, there's a fascinating book on Korean uh, nail salons in in New York, or you know, in Berlin, um, there's the so-called Brazilian waxing studios. So in, in Istanbul, many of the beauty workers are, um, are immigrant women, also from um, lower social strata. And very often, um, like Saliha, they, they came to Istanbul um, in, during their childhood, um, often you know, from more rural areas, or they are the children of, of immigrants uh, to the city, so to speak. And, and more recently, of course, um, there's also um, Syrian immigrant women, and um, but but this happened after my research took place. So unfortunately, I, I don't have much on this in in the book. But I think it's it's something that's quite important also to to um, yeah write about and um, yeah and and also. Um, think it's important to talk about the the working conditions also in the sector, and and the yeah the aspect expectations that some women can meet easily and others cannot meet so easily. 
And I mean, following the threads, uh, I was also wondering how do you see religion then playing out in women's conceptions and performances of beauty? Uh, yes, of course. So, um, so I already mentioned this assumed secularity of beauty, which of course is historically very problematic and neglects the fact that beauty is really tied to cosmological understandings of what it means to be an embodied human being. So I, I mean, I seek also to, you know, to take beauty serious and not, um, you know, um, see it as, as something frivolous or trivial. Um, so, um, yeah, so, but in Turkey, like elsewhere in the Islamic world, um, pious women are, are really an important, um, you could say, new target group for the beauty and fashion industries. And, um, yeah, I, I found that pine, pious women's consumption of beauty services and cosmetic surgery needs to be really understood against the background of very far-reaching debates on the topic among Muslim scholars and also in the wider public. And um, whereas some Islamic scholars, for example, um, would condemn aesthetic body modification as devil's work, for example, um, including one Hoxha in, in Turkey, um, others would say that um, beauty is is very important for women to engage in and is part of a morally proper feminine behavior. So there's a lot of debates going on and um, pious uh, middle-class women, they um, negotiate different expectations of themselves. And um, what I found is that they are venturing into the very um, secular urban world of beauty in increasingly self-conscious ways. And um, so they engage um, in beauty practices, I would say very much like um, secular or not, not consciously Muslim women their age do, especially younger pious women. Um, but they have to scrutinize their motivating force and the resulting effects more carefully in, in many cases. This is what, what became clear um, from doing research in, in conservative neighborhoods, um, for example, Fatih, but also Bashakshe here, which, which is seen as yeah the residential neighborhood of, of this um, new uh, conservative middle class. This episode is brought to you by Saks.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. And I mean, in your uh, answer just now, you also talked about... Um how you see this within the larger Islamic world, but also, I mean, in the in the book, you, I mean, while you're talking about this very specific case of middle-class femininities in Istanbul, you keep uh, uh, a more global outlook in how you discuss this case. Um, can you tell us a bit about how you see women in Istanbul are similar to women elsewhere in their self-fashioning, but also maybe different? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I would say that like elsewhere in Istanbul, beauty work is increasingly relegated to professional beauty service workers. And um, I would also say that it um, um, ever younger women um, engage in these um, beauty services, aesthetic surgery, and so on. And in Turkey, also um, a growing number of, of elderly women who, um, you know, in, in earlier decades um, would would not see the need or, you know, feel the pressure to engage in, in beauty practice, or maybe in beauty practices, but certainly not in, in aesthetic surgery. So, um, yeah, I mean... I think in earlier decades, um, the beauty sector was more closely linked to the participation of women in the urban, um, I mean, in in um, the white color sector, so to speak, or you know, in in employment um, for women, and and this link has has become less automatic. Um, so I think like elsewhere also in in Istanbul um, nowadays everyone really is is expected to invest in one's outer appearance and and engage in what is often called self-care you know as as a proper consumer citizen so um so what is different in in Turkey or Istanbul I would say that in in Turkey um much of this has or much of how this has played out in in very particular terms is informed by the neoconservative and authoritarian um, rule of the um, Justice and Development Party, especially its very conservative gender politics. So, um, I mean, the, um, the AKP's uh, ideology really conceptualizes women as different from and dependent on men um, by virtue of their nature, so to speak. Um, and from this perspective, particular kinds of beauty work, um, for example, body hair removal are, are really part of, you know, being, I mean, uh, fashioning a, a proper moral self. Um, whereas other aesthetic body modifications, such as tattooing, for example, is seen as morally improper and and also quite problematic. I mean, Western, you know, foreign, non-Turkish, and so on. So, I mean, matters of feminine appearance and morality have become very hotly debated public issues, and in in the in a very, you know. Um, contested um, political context, um, beauty practices have taken on very political meanings, you know, um, using lipstick or publicly exposing one's tattoos. Um, you may convey, you know, a very um, yeah, particular political stance. And and I think this is this is very much connected to to a yeah, to the local political situation, and and that's why I think it's also important to to study the local effects, so to speak, of of this um, global beauty boom, and non and and not assume that it plays out um, the same 
in in every regional context. So so beauty practices have have very particular meanings, um, even within Istanbul in in different neighborhoods. I mean, to wear a tattoo in you know in the city center in a very secular space is a very different matter than than wearing a tattoo in a in a very conservative um, neighborhood on the on the outskirts and and I've talked to women who who do both and and it's it's very interesting to see what what they experience and and um, why they chose to to have a tattoo for example in the first place and um, I mean in kind of also wrapping up how do you see the contribution of your book in relation to feminist anthropology but also to the anthropology of, bo of body and the um, anthropology of the Middle East. Yeah, I mean, I, I see my book as, um, of course, contributing to a debate on feminist and female agency um, in the Middle East um, and a, a feminist anthropology um, in and off the Middle East. Um, and, and I also see it as a move away from discussing piety and ethical formation and um, focusing more on things like, you know, engagement in, in global consumer society, um, yeah, um, everyday life, you know, um, and, and showing also the, the complexities and ambiguities in, in um, female agency in, in the region, but also um, very particularly in in present day Turkey, and um, yeah, I mean, I hope that uh, the book will be read not only by uh, students of uh, Turkey or you know uh, Middle Eastern studies, but also um, by scholars who are interested in in the global beauty industry and um, the feminist debate on beauty. Uh, you know, who are interested in in critical perspectives on beauty, and um, so yeah, and I th I think I mean the book tries to to contribute to to both these debates. I mean, a, a critical perspective on beauty, um, but also the debate on female agency and um, feminist anthropology in and off the Middle East. And I mean, what I really enjoyed as I was reading the book is this kind of uh, balance between very detailed ethnography, which kind of, I mean, of course, this is not a, this is not a context that is foreign to me. So I lived in Istanbul and I, yeah, I know about Turkey as I'm from there, uh, but also kind of the, um, the weaving of theory and also putting it in perspective within kind of a global world. Um, that would yeah that I found really I, that I really enjoyed as I was reading the book. Um, Thank you so much. I think it it really means a lot to be to to hear this and yeah, I'm 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 happy that um, this this came across. Very much so. Um, and yeah, before we finish, uh, what are you working on nowadays? 
Um, I'm currently starting a new project which focuses more on the senses and actually the sense of smell. So um, when we talk about beauty, we often talk about something visual. And of course, I mean, you mentioned Instagram, you know, um, we, we have, yeah, we are, we are surrounded by all these images, you know, and um, I, I was actually, I realized by doing research in these beauty salons, especially that smell is a very important part of beauty. And it's, it's very important for, for many of the women who, you know, who attend beauty salons and, and, and want to become beautiful or engage in, in, in beauty practices. So, um, so I became interested in this aspect and, um, so the idea is a project on olfactory belonging, also um, focusing on aspects of um, belonging and non-belonging in, in an urban space. Also um, discourses on, you know, who smells nicely and who doesn't, also in the context of migration and racism, um, but also in relation to, to gender. And so, yeah, this is this is my new project, and um, it's it's still very um, much in uh, in the beginning. So, um, so it will take uh, another while until the next book comes <laughs> comes out. <laughs> and would that still be an ethnography in Turkey? Um, well, I I uh, hope to continue visiting Istanbul and to continue to do research in, in Istanbul. But um, for this new project, I myself will focus on Berlin okay. and, and see how, yeah, how, how olfactory belonging and um, olfactory racism perhaps also, also in the history of migration to Berlin um, plays, plays out um, in, in another urban context, but I will have a PhD student studying studying in Istanbul. And then, yeah, hopefully we, we can bring the two aspects together. Oh, that sounds very exciting. I look forward to reading that book. <laughs> Thank you so much. And it was a pleasure talking to you about oh, the book. And the pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the New Books Network. Until next time.